uh, Michael J. Fox and uh, is Marty McFly, and he and uh, this crazy mad scientist doctor guy have uh, stumbled upon this car that can travel back in time and then forward in time to get back to where you were from. And uh, in this scene, uh, a guy named Biff, who is kind of the villain of the movie, has uh, had stolen the time machine and traveled back in order to do this with his, his past self. So you're seeing old Biff talking to young Biff in this, uh, in this car. This cost me 300 bucks! Will you shut up about the car? Hey, and another thing. How do you know where I live? Let's just say we're related, Biff. And that being the case, I got a little present for you. Something that'll make you rich. You want to be rich, don't you? Oh, yeah. Sure, right. That's rich. <laughs> You're going to make me rich? <laughs> you see this book? This book tells the future. It tells the results of every major sports event till the end of the century. Football, baseball, horse races, boxing. The information in here is worth millions. And I'm giving it to you. Well, that's very nice. Thank you very much. Now, why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? It's leave, you idiot. Make like a tree and leave. You sound like a fool when you say it wrong. All right, then leave. And take your book with you. Don't you get it? You could make a fortune with this book. Let me show you. UCLA trails 17 to 16. It's fourth and 11 with only 18 seconds left in this game. I'd say it's all over for UCLA. Bet you a million bucks UCLA wins at 19 to 17. What are you deaf, old man? He just said it was over. You lost. Oh, yeah? Here comes Decker with a kick. It's up. It looks good. Folks, it looks very good. Field goal. UCLA wins 19 to 17. Listen to this. Comes the impromptu one. All right, Pops, what's the gag? How did you know what the score was going to be? I told you, it's in this book. All you got to do is bet on the winner and you'll never lose. So, uh, what Biff is trying to communicate to Biff in this, uh, in this scene is... Uh, and what he's failing to understand is he's just been given a book that's telling him all of the results. He's telling the future of these, uh, these sporting events. And if he'll take his knowledge of the future and apply it in the present, it'll benefit him greatly. But he fails to grasp it at first. Uh, what, now, Genesis 49 is not about betting on future sports things. We'll, we'll, that'll become clear as we start reading it. But the, the emphasis of what we're going to see in here is as uh, Jacob is uh, prophesying and telling of the future for each of the tribes of Israel, uh, what he's telling them is he's gathering them together into his presence to communicate the future to them. Not just so that they can know some facts of trivia, but so that their knowledge of the future will shape and change and inform the way they're living in the present. Um, in fact, that's the way it starts in uh, verse 1 of chapter 49. Uh, so we'll pick up there. If you're following along in your, one of the Bibles there in front of you, it's on page 42. 
uh, and we'll go through the, the whole chapter here. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O uh, O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his borders shall be at Sidon. Uh, Issachar is a strong donkey, crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good, and that the land was pleasant. So he bowed his shoulder to bear, and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food uh, shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings that Uh, Blessings of the deep that crouch beneath. Blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessing of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents. Up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who is set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning devouring the prey and at the evening dividing the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to him as he blessed them, blessing each with a blessing suitable to him. Sorry, we're actually stopping in 28. So uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that you have have and continue to, uh, to, 
to reveal yourself to us through your, uh, through your, your scriptures. And we pray that as you have used your word to change your people in the past, to move us to, to faithfulness, that you would do that this morning. Um, that we would cling to you and live faithfully for you here and now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Jacob is calling his sons together. He says, gather uh, yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days that are to come. Uh, Jacob is calling his, his sons and communicating to them what is going to happen in the future. Um, uh, God, as at various times, uses different people to, to speak to his people and uh, in, in telling them of what is to uh, happen, what will occur. And here, Jacob is taking on that, uh, that place as God is using the words of Jacob and is inspiring these words to inform his children, his sons, what is going to happen to them. Uh, and like I said before, uh, we don't want to be young Biff. The sons of Israel didn't want to be, and Jacob didn't want them to be young Biff. They needed to understand the reason that this is being communicated to them is so that their knowledge of the future, what is going to happen and what God is doing, will affect them now. That their lives will be shaped and transformed in the present because of what they know is true of the future. And so we want to, we want to look at, at that. We want to look at what God is informing and teaching us through this message that Jacob has given his sons, given to God's people, that we too might live rightly in the, in the present. Um, so the, the first thing that that sticks out as we look in this passage is that something that is going to occur in the, in the future, in the days to come, are there is going to be consequences for sin. Uh, I don't know if you noticed or picked up on this, uh, but in verse 3 and 4, it speaks of uh, Reuben as Jacob's firstborn, his might, the first fruits of his strength. And this next phrase where it describes him as preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. That, those terms of dignity and power are, are things elsewhere in the, in the Bible that are associated with God himself. Something that was to be true of Reuben and in fact true of all of God's people is that we are to reflect God in the world. But Reuben's failed to do that. If we follow on, uh, we'll see that uh, he's sinned against Jacob. This Jacob actually skipped over and really did nothing with when it occurred before. But what he's talking about here is when Reuben went and, uh, and slept with Jacob's uh, uh, concubine maidservant wife. It was actually the, the maidservant of Rachel. And Reuben went, uh, went into her. And Jacob just kind of let, let it pass when it occurred the first time. But now we're seeing that although things might not be addressed immediately when they occur, consequences for sin do happen in the, the future. And in fact, uh, um, as we'll, we've seen in the past few weeks and we're seeing here, because of Reuben's sin, he's no longer the firstborn. He did not get the double portion. He did not experience this, uh, uh, the preeminence and the blessing as he should have due to his sin. But elsewhere, look at Simeon and Levi. We remember this account from verses 5 to 7. Do you remember when uh, um, Jacob's daughter, Dinah, was raped by uh, the, the prince of, of, of Shechem? Um, and they, instead of... Uh, 
um, seeking rightly to pursue justice, they took it too far and created horrible acts of violence. Uh, and, and Jacob then didn't really say much about it. Uh, he complained more about what was going on and the trouble it might cause him, but Jacob didn't seem exactly concerned with their sin and, and its implications. But here now, he's communicating to them, no, look, uh, God will not overlook this sin. There is consequences for it. You can be forgiven, but you will face consequences. And he, he talks of their, their, their violence and their swords as they went and just un unharnessed anger that they poured out against these guys. And it says here, one of the consequences is, Cursed is their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel, in verse 7. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Um, as we look at the unfolding history of Israel, when uh, they're allotted their inheritance in the, the, the land that they will get in the land of Canaan, uh, this is true for Simeon and Levi. They are divided in Israel. Levi does not have a land possession. Um, they have a few cities, but they did not inherit any sort of territory. They're divided and scattered throughout the people of, of Israel. Uh, Simeon, their inheritance was actually this little bubble in the midst of the inheritance of Judah. Again, isolated and, and separated. Um, uh, but if we, we don't want to miss out on this, there's... There's a great redemption, though, as well, because one of the reasons that, that Levi, the tribe of Levi, is scattered throughout God's people is because they were the teachers of God's word. Uh, later on, they, they do experience his redemption as they're brought in to be the, the priesthood and the, the, the teachers and, and shepherds of God's, uh, God's people spiritually. And so we see sometimes this conse the consequences of sin and what God's doing in his, in his people actually play out, not for, only for their benefit, but for the benefit of, of many. Uh, elsewhere in this, uh, this last uh, little section, uh, as it speaks of Issachar, um, in verses 14 and 15, it said, Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. So he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. This is referencing some period in, of Israel's uh, uh, very hard history where they are beginning to, to lay claim to the promised land. And it happened not just with Issachar, but, but others uh, of the tribes as well. Instead of faithfully trusting God and driving out the, the people that they were, they were to drive out uh, and um, demonstrating God's judgment on the, the nations of Canaan, uh, they got lazy. They saw a good resting place and decided not to do what God called them out, and they were ended up being subjected to, to forced labor, experiencing the consequences of their sin and their unfaithfulness. Uh, a couple of weeks ago now, or, uh, one of our children um, uh, got in trouble uh, for, for their, their sin. Um, and uh, they were playing in a, a, a swing that they were way too heavy for and that it was probably going to break if they played in it. And so uh, I communicated. Um, uh, I said, uh, you need to get out of the, the swing. It's going to break. You're not supposed to be playing in there. And um, I meant to keep their identity hidden, but the fact that 
I said two weeks ago, ruined it. But anyway, it's Greta. Uh, so she's playing in a swing, and she looked at me when I said that, and then immediately she just kicked her legs back and just got nice and easy and was swinging back and forth in this baby swing. And we understand our call from Scripture to be to, to, to discipline our children, to shepherd them out of our love for them, to move them to, to faithfulness and obedience to our God by obeying us and understanding who He is and what, how He's called them to live in, in, in His world. And that means communicating to them that sin has consequences and it's, it's not good for God's people to, to sin. And so uh, Greta had to get a spanking. Um, she cried. We, I hugged her. We prayed together. Uh, and then the next day, she's two. I didn't know what kind of effect it would have. Her and Lindsay are talking, and she goes, uh, I got banking. Oh, what for? Uh, I was in the swing and didn't get out. She, she's already through this discipline, beginning to pick these things up. And now what I see in her mind when we, when she's getting ready to disobey and we say something and warn her about doing it, in her mind knowing that there are consequences for sin and that she's experienced it in the past and it will happen in the future if she sins again, it begins to shape the way that she's living now. Even at, even at two. Now, Remember, as we've gone through our worship service so far, how God has been revealed and how He's been communicated to us. Our Father, our loving Creator, He graciously and mercifully comes to His people in their sin. The fact that God gives consequences for sin does not negate His love and His mercy. In fact, it confirms His value and His love because it's only God's children that are disciplined. Later on in the scriptures, it tells us that if we're, if we're not disciplined, then that is really a sign that we're illegitimate children, not His, because you discipline the children that you love. Here, God is communicating His love to His people by reminding them and trying to inform them that there will be consequences for sin in the future. Well, how does that affect us now? How does it affect us to, today? I mean, there's several implications. One, it communicates to us God hates sin. And what we should begin to see developed in our own heart is one of the responses we should have presently as God's people is that we should hate our own sin and begin to hate it more and more, uh, loving Him even uh, that, it would, uh, that it would increase. The other, other things that it might communicate to us is we see God's consequences of sin that, that He brings as He disciplines His people is that we should, uh, we should repent. As we realize God's goodness and His mercy as we've experienced His discipline, we repent for the sin that has come, uh, that, that we've committed. And, and then in the midst of that, it would invite us to call out for mercy. To call out for mercy that God would uh, um, not give us what we deserve. In fact, as the Scriptures unfold and other prophets communicate God's message, that's one of the responses to uh, especially God's warnings of sin that's coming in the future. You notice this particularly with Jonah when he goes to the people of Nineveh. And he calls them to, he says, three days and the city's going to be destroyed. 
And the way the people of Nineveh re- respond is they, they put on sackcloth and ashes and they mourn and they call out for mercy before God. And they say this, who knows he may relent. And Jonah gets ticked off because he says, I knew you were a God who is gracious and merciful. We are realizing the consequences of sin and God's heart behind it. We should call out for that. We should humble ourselves and, and appreciate His loving discipline. Not flee from it, but be thankful that God would work in our lives shaping and, and moving us away from our sin and that we might pursue righteousness. You see, Jacob's not just communicating this to say, hey, this is the way it is, but it's to shape how we're living today. That it should shape our response to our sin and our response to God in the midst of it. Now. Because consequences for sin will come for God's people in the future because of His, His love for us as our Father. But the other, other things that, that stick out in this passage are the implications and the, the emphasis on blessing and provision. That is what is, is another thing that's coming in the future. Blessing and provision is coming to uh, God's people. In verses uh, 11 and 12, and talking about uh, Judah, um, one of the things that it describes here in 11 is tying this donkey to the, the choice vine. You don't tie your donkey to the best vines you have because the donkey's just going to eat it. But if the blessing and the provision is so great that all of your choice vines are incredible, then you have so much and have been provided so much, then it doesn't matter what your donkey eats, and you can tie him to whatever vine you want to. The same thing comes up as it's describing washing their, their garments in wine as it's overflowing, or this idea of the, the pictures of, of milk as well. Um, uh, but elsewhere... It, it highlights a couple of, uh, of these other uh, smaller tribes as it goes through. In verse 20, it tells us of how Asher is going to be uh, have lots of food and is going to provide delicacies to, to royalty. Uh, again, later in verse 21 with Naphtali, they're going to bear lots of, uh, um, uh, of beautiful uh, children and continue to, to multiply and grow. And then with Joseph, I don't know if you picked up when we were reading for it, over it again, but the term blessing, blessing, blessing comes up over and over again as he's talking about Joseph. Uh, in some ways, it's, this, it's descriptive in verse 22 where it talks about him being a fruitful bough and his branches running over. But then later on, it, it says in verse 25, by the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, Blessings of the breast and of the womb, the blessings of your father and mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, all the bounties of the everlasting hills. And the summary at the end, as Jacob's describing what he's talking about, all of these in verse 28, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with a blessing suitable to him. God is Part of what is going to occur in the the future and in days to come is God's continued blessing and provision of His people. How how do we respond now? What what does the the knowledge that that's coming in the future do for us now? Well, it should move us to a heart of thanksgiving. 
gracious response to God and what He's doing. We should be good stewards of what He's given us. Maybe the donkey chewing up the vine doesn't act accurately reflect that, but uh, the, the things that God has given us to be a good steward of what He has entrusted us as, as God's, uh, God's people. Um, but also the response should be uh, that we would live in such a way that as we experience the blessings that God gives us, we would fulfill His calling. Do you remember what the calling for God's people was? God isn't just saying, hey, I'm going to give you wine and milk and good food and lots of kids just for your own sake. I'm blessing you so that you might be a blessing. One of the ways that we live presently in light of the future and what God is telling us is going to occur is by living now in a way that we bless those around us, that they might know more His knowledge, uh, know of Him and His mercy and His his grace. Um, but it's kind of interesting, though, in this passage, there's, there's blessing and provision that's talked about, but it, it's existing alongside hostility and struggle. Do you, do you notice how that was mixed in to this, uh, this prophecy? Uh, even just looking back in, with, with Judah, in verse 8, it talks about his enemies. The fact that there are going to be enemies against, uh, uh, who are opposed to, uh, to God's people. Um, elsewhere, with, with Dan and Gad, in verses uh, 16 through 19, um, Dan is going to judge his people, but the, it, it talks about him being a serpent in the way, a viper of the path that bites at the horse's heels. Now, viper, the rider is going to fall backwards. It, it's looking and talking about a time when Dan will be uh, attacked and invaded and the, uh, the hostility that they'll experience as a tribe. And the same thing in, in verse 19 with Gad, that they'll be raiders. Um, but it, the, the place where it's explicitly put side by side together that, that God's people will experience blessing and provision, but also hostility and struggle is with Joseph. Do you notice how as... Uh, Book ended with blessing of being a fruitful bough, and then all the blessing, 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 blessing that it talks about. In verse 23, this is what Jacob says of Joseph. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Uh, by the God of your father, who will help you? By the Almighty, who will bless you with blessings of heaven above? Uh, jo- Joseph is experiencing, in the, and just as the rest of God's people, in the midst of this blessing and provision, great struggle and hostility. Why, why would God do something like this? Why would He allow this kind of hostility to come into the lives of His people? Remember, this isn't new. We've seen it as we've gone through Genesis. The reason they're in Egypt at all is because of the famine that's happening. Um, uh, Last week, I was watching this documentary on this huge forest fire that happened in uh, 1910 uh, out in the western part of the the country. It was called The Big Burn was the name of the, the documentary. And this fire was so intense and powerful that it created its own weather system 
as uh, millions and millions of acres were burned out uh, out west. Uh, and it actually uh, helped to um, solidify the place of the Forestry Service in the, the U.S. because of their desire to, to fight and keep fires like that from happening ever again. Um, because they never, they didn't want to see a fire of that intensity to see that kind of uh, uh, calamity happen to the forests. Well, they actually later on began to succeed at that. Uh, they, uh, in fact, took care of the fires so much that very rarely would a fire expand very much at all within the, the forest system. And what they, they commented on was the fact that by trying to keep all the fires out and not experiencing any of the, the, the effects of those fires that come in the forest, we're actually uh, um, creating a, a big problem because now there was more and more fuel in the forest. And if there was going to be another fire, then it would be even worse than those before. Um, but another thing that was pointed out as I was talking to some folks at our community group the other night is that some forests and some types of trees actually need fire. They need the hostility and the struggle that comes from the fires burning to actually help them grow, to, to germinate their, their seeds and to propagate and thrive. Uh, in order for the, these, I think it's particularly pine forests, to thrive, they must experience from time to time the struggle of the fire. What God is doing in the lives of His people, remember if He's our good and loving God, the things that He's bringing into our lives is for His glory. That we might rest in Him and know His provision and His care. Um, and notice, that's what He promises over and over to, to Jacob, or to Joseph. The mighty one of Jacob is going to be with you. The shepherd, the stone of Israel, God Almighty, is with His people. That should help shape how we're living now. If we, we know that not only is blessing coming, but struggle and hostility and difficulty is coming from God's people, then we shouldn't be surprised by it. It shouldn't take us off guard. Um, but also what we should remember is to go back to understand God's goodness and His care for us. And to, to realize in the midst of those struggles and those hostilities uh, that God is good and His promise here as well is to preserve us. Now, will we all make it out uh, alive? No, that's not the promise. But in the end, when God comes to restore and renew all things, we will experience His great provision and His deliverance. But the other thing that it should motivate us to do now is to call out for a deliverer. To call out for one that will do what He's promised, that will one day bring about an end to... Ultimately, the struggle and strife that's going on in our world through sin. And in fact, that's what you see Jacob doing uh, at the, the end of his little section with Dan. Um, as it's been already, Jacob has been bringing up these, uh, these issues of struggle and of sin that his, people, his sons will experience. He says this at the end of Dan's little section in verse 18. I'll wait for your salvation Oh, Yahweh. He calls out. He calls out to the covenant-making and keeping God to, to come, to save, to redeem. That should be what we are doing. And in fact, what we, elsewhere, what we see in this passage is that not only is 
there are going to be consequences for sin and blessing and provision existing alongside hostility and struggle, but there's going to be the arrival of salvation. The arrival of salvation is coming. Notice in verses 8 through 12 with Judah. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of all the peoples. Uh, Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He's washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. We learn a lot here in this passage about the, the deliverance of our God and how he will provide for his, for his people, of how salvation will be coming. Uh, the first thing that we see from, from what Jacob is foretelling that is going to come from Judah's tribe is that there is going to be uh, a universal ruler that comes from Judah's tribe. Notice uh, Judah's not the firstborn. Remember, Joseph took the place of the firstborn. But here, Judah is spoken of of being a ruler, a ruler over his brothers. You notice how it says that in verse 8. Your father's sons will bow down before you. But it's not just, it's not just that he's going to rule over the people of Israel. It's going to be a universal rule. Look at verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. When the Bible uses the, that plural term, peoples, it's talking about the nations. It's going to say everyone will come and bow down before the ruler that is coming from Judah. The other thing it says is we see is that he's going to be an everlasting ruler. The scepter and the staff will never depart from him, whoever this, this ruler is. Um, we see from, from that, uh, we're beginning to see little, little snippets of how God's promises are being fulfilled. Remember when God created Adam and Eve, one of the things that he said to them is, you're to be fruitful and multiply and take dominion, to spread God's rule and his glory throughout the world. Now here we see when this promised one from Judah's tribe comes, He will begin to do what humanity was called to do, to spread God's rule everywhere, as far as the waters cover the the seas and throughout all of our our earth. But we also see here that the, the, the salvation that's coming, the one that's coming to save, the Savior, will be a powerful champion. Uh, in verse 8, it talks about uh, his hand shall be on the neck of his enemies. That's, that's speaking of the, the, the victory that, that Judah will have and, is, uh, and being able to, to be in a place of dominance over those who have uh, rebelled against him and his people. And in verse 9, it speaks of him of being a triumphant lion. And the imagery here is that Judah is so powerful as a lion that when he gets his prey and he goes back to his den and he's laying over it, it doesn't matter who's going to come up. After It's not going to scare him up. He's not going to be roused because he's that big and bad. Genesis 3.15, we're seeing to begin to fulfill here. Remember what God was promised his people long ago was that there's a promised one, a, an offspring from, from Eve, from Adam and Eve, that would, that would ultimately come and bring about deliverance, bring about salvation to his people. 
Uh, and now he's beginning to fine-tune this and fill it in for us more and more. You see, this ruler who is coming that will not only defeat the evil one, but he's going to bring blessing to his people. The praise of his brothers, it tells us, will be towards this one that comes from Judah. Why? Because their, their, uh, their salvation and their life is tied up in his success and his rule. Um, he, he will bring blessing to his people, but he also he will bring judgment and curse to his enemies. Um, it tells us that. We saw it with, the, uh, with his hand on the neck of the enemies. But elsewhere, when it uses this, uh, this description of washing his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes, that on one side tells of the blessing and provision he's going to bring, but the description of blood also talks about uh, uh, punishment and destruction that will come of those who rebel against him. Uh, So far in Genesis, what we're beginning to see is God's revealing himself. At first, it was just some offspring that's coming from Adam and Eve. Now, it's seeming to... We saw that it was going to come from the from the line of Abraham and from the line of Isaac. And now we're finding out it's not just from the line of Jacob, but it's coming from the line, the tribe of Judah. God's making more and more clear who is, where his salvation is going to come from, who will be the Savior. Um, this is maybe one way that could be helpful to think about what is happening in Scripture and as it, as it unfolds. If you want to look at this picture. Um, I don't know if you can see it with the, the lights in here or not. This is a picture. This is Saturn. This is from, a, a, like, the Voyager, uh, I think, or a, another uh, satellite at that point. Um, like, space exploration thing. This little blue dot right here is Earth. This was taken back in 2013, I believe. And, in fact, NASA made an announcement and was like, hey, on this day we're taking a picture uh, of the Earth. Find Saturn in the sky, look at it, and wave and smile because we're going to take everybody's picture. Uh, So one way you could describe Earth is, wow, from my perspective here and as far away as it is, it's just this little blue speck. It's all we really know about it, round and blue. About the next picture. Here, as we get closer, it begins to to be a, a little more clear. We begin to see, oh, there's white stuff, clouds, blue seas, there's green and brown, there's places of land that are there. We're finding more out about Earth as we, we journey closer to it and see and our focus and our, the picture becomes more in, uh, in focus of, of actually describing what Earth is like as we see and experience it. Uh, now look at this next picture. This too is Earth. Now, from Saturn... From the moon, you know nothing about this being an earth. Elizabeth City. You don't know that, oh, our church, we meet right here on the corner of McMorrin and Colonial, or that this is the Pasquotank River. But if you were describing earth to someone, uh, you could describe all of these things and they all would be true. As the focus becomes clearer, as you get closer and closer to the to experiencing what earth is. And that's what we're seeing here, is God is drawing us closer to see how Jesus will be the fulfillment of all of these things. Uh, uh, Later on in in Scripture, in fact, in uh, Revelation chapter 5, Jesus is described as this. 
the Lion of Judah, the one who is coming. And in fact, it describes him as being the conquering one who does what it is that God has has said that the one from Judah would come and do. And in Romans chapter 1, as Paul is reflecting back on uh, on who uh, Jesus is and what it is that he's come to do, it says this of Jesus, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Obedience. Coming to Jesus from all the nations. Obedience that is demonstrated through faith. That's the promise that Jacob is saying here. That's what he's saying is going to happen in the future. One will come from the the tribe of Judah. Now we understand and know that he is Jesus. Who will have worldwide uh, control of all things. Who will bring uh, blessing to the earth. Who will redeem and restore all things and defeat all his Uh, his enemies and save and redeem his people. The more that we see it fine-tuned as Scripture, we we realize that that comes only through his life, death, and resurrection as we obey him through faith and trusting in what he has done. What does that matter for us now? Well, it should call us to presently submit to this great, gracious, merciful King. To seek and, and expect his kingdom to come, but seek now to to expand it and to, to rest, to rest in his rule and his power now as he rules and reigns at the right hand of the Father. If you're here and you don't know, uh, you don't know Jesus, one of the things that it might would call you to do is to investigate these claims. These claims that thousands of years ago is talking about a man who would come, who would die and suffer, who would deliver and redeem his people from their sins and is the ruler of all things? Did he rise from the dead? Is this really based in fact or is it myth? If this is true, what Jacob is talking about of who's coming, then it would be worth all of our effort to investigate and see. See, these aren't just little facts of trivia that Jacob is trying to give us. Knowing the future should impact us presently as we seek to trust and rely on our gracious and our good God who disciplines us to the consequences of sin and His fatherly love, who in the midst of of blessing, we also are going to experience hardship and hostility and struggle, but His provision. And we await and long for the the saving one to come and redeem and restore all things. Um, Let's pray. Heavenly Father,